Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is open up to Luke, the fifth chapter. Luke chapter 5, it's where I'm open to, and in fact, that's where I'm going to stay for the entirety of the lesson. So get your Bibles out and open them up to Luke, the fifth chapter. We'll just work in that text all morning long. As you're turning to Luke chapter 5, let me say how great it is to see everyone today. We do have a good number, have lots of folks that are visiting with us, and we appreciate very much the fact that you've come to be with us uh, this first day of the week. It is Mother's Day, and we are thankful for our moms, but let's not forget that it is the Lord's Day, and that is the greatest uh, day of the week, the greatest day of every single week, as we've come together to honor and worship the Lord. In Luke, the fifth chapter, let's just begin, let's get started in Luke chapter 5. I want to read beginning in verse number 1. In Luke 5 and in verse 1, there we're told that on one occasion... While the crowd was pressing in on him, that's pressing in on Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And then getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. What do you do if you get stuck with the preacher for the afternoon? Has that ever happened to you before? Maybe I'm thinking like in a gospel meeting. We have a visiting preacher and it's not uncommon for us to post a meal list and different folks are going to invite the preacher out for a meal. And so maybe you sign up to take the preacher out for lunch and maybe on the way there where you're going to meet him for lunch, you kind of start to think and have the realization, oh no, what am I going to talk to this guy about? Are we just going to sit and talk about the Bible all day? What if he starts quizzing me about the Bible and I don't know the answers to all the things that he's going to say? It can be kind of awkward sometimes when you're around certain preachers, when you're left alone with them. And that's exactly what Simon Peter is experiencing here in Luke chapter 5. Peter gets stuck not just with any preacher. He gets stuck with the greatest preacher of all time, Jesus, for the afternoon. But instead of there being these long, uncomfortable silences or struggling to make conversation, Jesus says to Peter, Hey, buddy, let's go fishing today. And of course, that right there was right up Peter's alley. But of course, this fishing trip that he was about to embark upon, it was not going to be like any fishing trip that he had ever been on before. Because in Luke, the fifth chapter, Peter is going to learn a valuable lesson that's going to end up setting the course for the rest of his life. Because what Peter's going to learn about is he's going to learn about what it means to obey Jesus. And as you and I, as readers, as we tag along on that fishing trip, we too are going to come to understand some things about the very basis for our relationship with the Lord and what it means for us to obey Christ. We're going to come to see what obedience looks like. We're going to come to realize what it is that fuels and motivates obedience. We're going to come to appreciate what happens whenever you and I obey Jesus Christ. Which is why this morning I want to set before you three principles right out of this text about obedience. And I need to just say right up front, very, very kindly but very firmly, that if you don't get this, if you don't understand and don't grasp the implications, the personal implications of what is taught to us in Luke chapter 5, if you don't get it, you're going to have a real tough time being a Christian. In fact, I really don't even see how you can be a Christian if you don't get this. I understand very clearly that we are saved by the grace of God. If you have any misunderstandings about that, you come and be a part of our Roman studies. Romans is showing us that we are saved by the grace of God. 
But I also understand that that extension of God's grace, that it ought to end up prompting us to genuine, heartfelt obedience to the Lord. And that's the side of the equation that I'm working on today. I want to talk about what it means to obey Jesus. And I'm going to set before you three principles right out of Luke chapter 5. Let's read that again, beginning in verse 1. In Luke chapter 5, verse 1, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Now, I want to just stop right there because I want to just talk for just a quick second about the kind of fishing that's going on here. I always worry that whenever we read these fishing stories in the Bible that people maybe in their minds, they you know, kind of put in a, a very 21st century modern way of thinking about fishing into the biblical text. We think of recreational kinds of fishing. That Jesus may be standing out on the edge of a fully rigged bass boat and that Peter's out there, he's, you know, he's got some big telescopic rod and reel. And they're flipping out you know, plastic worms from DNL Tackle. And they're just doing all kinds of stuff that sounds like what we're familiar with today. But of course, that is not the kind of fishing that's going on here in Luke chapter 5. This is commercial fishing. And it was done in first century times with huge nets. And it was, as you can probably imagine... It was back-breaking work. You get into a boat and you unroll, you unveil this massive linen net and your partner or partners, they get into the boat and they help to stretch that big thing out and you're able to stretch that thing out maybe 100, 150 feet into kind of like a big semi-circle and it is designed to trap fish. And after you've done that kind of thing, that going through that process over and over again all night long and you've then pulled in this wet heavy net. When you get back to the shore in the morning, you've got to then wash and dry your net so that you can get yourself ready to go through that whole process again the next evening. And that's what Peter's doing. In fact, it's not just Peter here. There's Peter, there's his brother Andrew, there's James and his brother John, and they've been doing that kind of thing all night long, casting out nets pulling them back in, stretching them out, reeling them back in, heaving them up into the boat. All night long, they're going through that laborious process. And of course, all that fishing, that gets all the attention here in this story, but because of that, I'm afraid that we just end up zipping right by what happens in the very next verse. Did you notice verse 3? Let's look at verse 3 again. Verse 3, then getting into one of the boats which was Simon's, Jesus asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Let's just start right there. Because right there in verse 3, we get this very first principle about obedience. Because we learn that obedience begins whenever we are obedient to Jesus in the small things. Luke chapter 5 verse 3 is the very first time that Jesus asked Peter to do something and he does it. You see that there? I want you to notice that Jesus does not ask Peter to do something huge or colossal, something that would be just a really, really big deal. No, that's not what Jesus does. You know, these crowds, they just happen to be pressing in on Jesus. And what Jesus simply needed was he just, he just needed a little buffer, needed just a little bit of space. And so what he said is he said, Hey, Peter, I see you got a boat there. Can I hop in that boat and we just kind of push out a little bit? Do you mind if we do that? And Peter says, absolutely. Not a problem. 
He does what Jesus asks him to do. Now, I want you to notice what that means. That means that Peter had to stop everything else that he was doing. All that work that he and his brother and his partners were doing about getting the nets mended and dried and washed and all that kind of stuff, had to put all that on hold. Had to stop all of that work in order to go and take Jesus out in the boat just like he'd been asked. Now, I'll say again, it wasn't some colossal thing. Jesus did not ask Peter to go and march seven times around the walls of Rome. He did not ask Peter to go into the city of Athens and start destroying every single idol temple that he found there. No, he simply told Peter, Hey, can you take me out a little ways in your boat? And Peter said yes. That's a small thing, isn't it? Can I ask you this? What if Peter had said no? Ever thought about that? What if Peter had declined this opportunity? What if Peter had said, Oh, Jesus, can you just tell the crowds to go away for a time being? You know, I'm kind of busy right now. Me and my brother and our partners, I mean, we got some work to do here, and I just really don't have time to do that. What if Peter had said, Hey, you know, can't you find somebody else? I mean, there's, there's other boats and other fishermen here lined up along the shore. Can't you get somebody else to do that for you, Jesus? What happens then? Well, if you're already familiar with Luke, the fifth chapter, then you know at the end of this story, Peter gets called to be an apostle. He then becomes an ambassador for Jesus. He ends up preaching the first gospel sermon. He ends up converting the first Gentile family. He ends up writing letters and epistles that make up part of the New Testament. All of that happens, why? All of that happens because right here in verse 3, Jesus asked Peter to do a little bitty small thing And Peter did it, and his whole life then pivoted on the obedience that we see right here. Which is why I want to ask you and I right now, why are we sometimes so hesitant and so reluctant to obey Jesus in the small things? Why do we seem to have problems with that? Obeying the little things that Jesus asks us to do. You know, I honestly believe that if there was like an overthrow of our civil government and if soldiers marched into this church building today and said, all right, everybody who identifies as a Christian, I want you to line up across that wall because we're going to shoot you. We're going to shoot you for your faith. I am convinced that most, if not all, of the Christians sitting in this building right now, we would line up along that wall and we would be ready to die for our faith in Jesus Christ. I'd be ready to do that. You'd be ready to do that. We would stand firm and stand proud about that. We could do that and we would. Why then is it so hard for us to come back for services at 6 p.m. on Sunday night? Why is it so difficult to come to Bible class and to make sure that our kids are brought to Bible class as well? Why is it so hard to find that remote control and to turn off that godless program or that godless movie that we're watching? Why is it so difficult to open up our Bibles and to read one chapter or maybe just to read one verse out of Scripture each day? You know, sometimes those small things, they just elude us. They just get beyond us. Here we are. We're ready to do something big and colossal for the Lord. Oh yeah, Lord, I'm ready to line up along the wall and die for you. And yet many times Jesus isn't asking us to do something big and huge and colossal. And I want to say to you this morning that when we do cut those corners, what happens is is we end up neglecting the small things and little by little, 
We end up allowing ourselves and our walk with the Lord to end up eroding. Slowly but surely, it ends up eroding right beneath our very feet. Because we do not have the attitude that says, Hey, big or small, I'm going to do what Jesus says. You know, it doesn't matter whether I think or whether you think it's a minor thing whether we think it's an insignificant thing, whether in the grand scheme of things that we think in our mind, oh, it really doesn't matter, it's not that big of a deal. No, I need to do what Jesus said, regardless of how big or small it might be. In fact, a little bit later in the Gospel of Luke, it is Jesus who would say that the only way you can begin to be faithful in much is by being faithful in a little. That's Luke 16, verse 10. The starting point for our obedience to Jesus is the understanding and the commitment to obey Jesus even in the small things. Which leads right next to verse 4. Read verse 4 with me as you pick up. Verse 4, so when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep. Okay, we went just a little bit away from the shore, but now the preaching's done. Let's go a little bit further. Let's put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and we've taken nothing. But at your word, but at your word I will let down the nets. Right here is our second principle and in fact really this is the heart of everything. And that is when we do what the Lord says, it shows that we are obeying Jesus because we trust Jesus. You know, you and I need to make certain that we realize just kind of how, how backwards, how upside down, how messed up verse 4 really is. Really, everything about verse 4 is just wrong, at least to our sensibilities. I mean, what does Jesus know about fishing? I mean, He's the son of a carpenter. Okay, maybe He would know something about how to build a boat, but I mean, that doesn't mean He knows anything about fishing. Furthermore, fishing with nets, that's not something you do during the daytime. Because the fish can see the nets. That's the reason that the fishermen do that at night. They can't see the nets. So Jesus, you don't even know what you're talking about here. We've already been fishing all night and that was a bust. And so here's a guy who is not a professional fisherman and he's telling Peter to go and fish at all the wrong times, at all the wrong places. And on top of all of that, if Peter follows these instructions and they don't catch anything then that means that all that work that he'd been doing all morning long, the mending of the nets, the washing the nets, the drying the nets and all that stuff, all that's going to be ruined. And all that, it's going to be a whole day just busted and wasted and nothing good come from it. Peter's going to have to, he's going to have to just redo everything. And so the logical response, if you're Peter, or even Andrew or James or John, is to say, hey Jesus, listen, appreciate your zeal here, but uh, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, you're kind of out of your league here, partner. This is not really your area of expertise. This just isn't the time to fish. This isn't the time to go to work. And what I love about Peter is that's exactly what he says to the Lord. In verse 5, at the beginning of his response, Lord, it's just not going to happen. I mean, we've already tried all night long and nothing good came from it. But then the very next words out of Peter's mouth is the recognition of who he's talking to because he says, nevertheless... Nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to let down the nets. Do you know what that is? That is trust. If you like to make notes in your Bible, maybe just circle this passage and write out next to it the word trust. Because this is trust in action. This is faith. 
All obedience to the Lord is based on faith. It's when I know and I trust that the one who's telling me to do this knows better than I do. And what's happened here is Peter Peter has seen, he has got to be a witness, he has observed some of the great works of Jesus. He's gotten done, if you were to read chapter 4, you'll find that Peter has observed many of the miracles that Jesus has performed. He got to see the healing of the sick, which included even his very own mother-in-law. He got to see demons being driven out and cast out. All of these miracles that have taken place, all the teaching that he's heard already of Jesus, it's begun to work on Peter. It's grown some faith in him. It's grown him to a place where he has some convictions. And that faith is now causing Peter here in chapter 5 to say, I don't understand this. I don't know what sense this makes. I don't know if it's going to work. I know that this really isn't the way that I would do it, but Jesus... I trust you at your word. I'm going to do what you say. That is the living embodiment of that song that we often sing. In fact, Kent's going to lead it for us as an invitation song. Trust and obey. Peter is showing us right here in Luke 5 exactly how that's done. And I want to submit to you this morning that that faith and that trust, that must be the fuel for our obedience to Jesus even today. It's trusting Jesus that makes the engine of obedience run. And yet sometimes, even as I'm saying that, sometimes I wonder if we even understand that. I'm thinking, for example, about maybe someone who has never obeyed the gospel. Someone who maybe has grown up in the church, so to speak, And they're well past an age of accountability and maturity. It's not a knowledge thing. We know that they know, but they still have yet to respond to the invitation of Christ. And we start kind of wondering about that. In fact, it maybe even reaches a point where we start to kind of really psychoanalyze that. And we're picking that apart and we're trying to explain in our minds and maybe to each other why this person hasn't yet become a Christian. And so as we start picking that apart and dissecting that, we start saying things like, well... Well, I think maybe the reason they haven't obeyed the gospel is because their mom and dad dad pushed too much. Or maybe on the other end of that, well, I think the reason they haven't obeyed the gospel is because because their mom and dad really haven't done enough. Their mom and dad just have been kind of AOL. Or maybe, or A-W-O-L, AWOL. Or maybe that Bible class teacher that they had when they were a kid. Maybe I remember they said something in class that just didn't really, didn't really you know, mesh well in their mind and that's just stuck in their mind. And I think that's the reason that they haven't obeyed the gospel. Or, you know, maybe they've observed Brother Hypocrite in the church and ah, they, kids can see that and they understand that and that's just stuck in their crawl. I think maybe it's this. I think maybe... No. No, no, no. Do you want to know why that person does not obey the gospel? Why they haven't obeyed the gospel? It's right here. Because they don't trust Jesus. You can strip away all of the excuses, all of the explanations, all of the rationalizations that we try to make about that. At the end of the day, this right here is what they're missing. They don't trust the Lord. Because as Peter demonstrates for us in this chapter, real faith always generates obedience. I want to say that again. Real faith always issues in obedience. You cannot believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of God, that He came here to die for your sins, that He arose from the dead, that He ascended back into the heavens, that He's reigning now as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. You cannot believe all of that and still just sit there, idle, not doing anything, not obeying Jesus. It doesn't work that way. 
Genuine faith always causes a change inside which then directs us to do some stuff on the outside, the stuff that Jesus tells us to do. Trust breeds obedience. And when people are ready to say what Peter said here in verse 5, that word master, man, that's that's a word worth underlining. Master. Then and only then is a person going to be ready to, to let down the net, so to speak. Can I maybe just add right here, just kind of as a bonus? Can I add here that that this obedience to Jesus, it it means that we're going to have to trust Him, but it means we're going to have to trust Him even if that means Him invading my territory. You know, when Jesus comes to Peter and asks if He can borrow His boat for a pulpit so that He can do a little bit of preaching to the crowds, I think Peter probably thought, hey, that's totally fine. I mean, He's Jesus. He's the best preacher around. He knows all about preaching. He knows what's going to be the best place and the best time and the best way to do that. But, but fishing? Fishing, ah, that's, that's my turf. That's Peter and Andrew and James and John's turf. Peter's the guy who knows all about that. And so Jesus, hey, don't you go over here and get in my business on the fishing stuff, Jesus. Don't you be telling me how to do things in my domain, in my territory. But Jesus does, doesn't he? Jesus crosses that boundary and enters in to Peter's personal territory. And you and I need to understand that Jesus is not content to just command and expect obedience only in here. That He only expects our obedience on Sundays and on Wednesdays when we come together assembled as the church, meeting in this building. That when it comes to religious and and church type stuff, okay, yes, Jesus is Lord in those areas. But somehow in all the other areas of my life, all the other hours of the day, well, Jesus, yeah, that's, that, that, that's my area. No. No, Jesus will come to those places and He will tell you what to do. Jesus will come into your workplace and He will tell you and He will expect of you what it means to be an employee, what it means to be a worker. Jesus is ready to cross that boundary. Jesus, young people, He'll go to school with you. Jesus will be the one who will be looking over your shoulder when you're looking over at your friend's test, copying off their paper, and Jesus will peck you on the shoulder and say, Hey, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? There? You can't be doing that. That's dishonest. That's not the way you're supposed to be acting in school. Jesus will come into your family, into your home, into your marriage. And He will ask you as a husband or as a wife whether you're fulfilling your obligations in that role. All of those places where we oftentimes want to try to push Jesus out and say, Hey, Jesus, I got this covered. I got the work thing covered. I got the family thing covered. I got this covered. I got that covered. Jesus says, hey, I'm coming in. I'm coming in there. I'm I'm not confined to just this church building. I'm coming into all of your life. Jesus will show up. And He will say, you need to trust me everywhere. But yes, I do know what's best in the church building. But I also know what's best in every other arena of your life. I know what's best and you need to obey me. You need to trust me so that I can show you how to live in the best way. And that is what makes Luke chapter 5 so vital. Because it is teaching us, just like it taught Peter, that we need to trust and obey Jesus in everything. Which then leads to this great, grand, and amazing finale. Read it with me, beginning in verse 6. Verse 6, what's the result of all of that? Jesus invades Peter's turf. Verse 6 now. When they had done this, when they had obeyed, They enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. 
Verse 8, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. Here's this third principle about obedience. And that is that when we obey Jesus, that obedience opens up the door to great blessings. That God blesses the obedience of His children. Now, I need to be very, very careful with this third point because I certainly don't want anybody to look at this third principle and come away thinking, oh, I see what's going on there. If I obey the Lord, if I do this, do what God says then I'm going to get some goodies out of that. There's going to be some prosperity coming my way. In fact, looky here. These guys got all kinds of fish. Mountains and mountains of fish. Maybe for me that'll mean mountains and mountains of gold. Mountains and mountains of money. Mountains and mountains of stuff and all kinds of good things. In fact, there's a guy probably this very morning down in Houston, Texas who's standing in front of a stadium full of people. 15,000, 20,000 people. His name's Joel Austin. And he's preaching that exact same message to his congregants. That if you'll just trust the Lord, the world will be your oyster. All kinds of good things will come your way. Well, I'm not Joel. And I sure don't have his smile. And I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you like he is today. The truth of the matter is, there are lots of people who are serving the Lord. They're obeying the Lord. They're doing what Jesus says. And they've lost everything. They are not rolling in the dough. They're not doing well materially. In fact, in the very next chapter, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus actually proclaims four woes, verses 24, 25, and 26, four woes that just absolutely demolish this idea that Jesus is wanting to be your personal chauffeur and He's going to drive you over to Easy Street. Absolutely not. It's not the kinds of blessings that we're talking about here. And while I do realize that there was some, some material blessings for Peter here by you know, getting this big pile of fish, I, I should tell you that pile of fish wasn't the real blessing here. In fact, we know that that pile of fish couldn't have been that important because in verse 11, what does Peter and the other guys do? They leave it. They leave it behind for the real blessing and the real blessing is to go and be with Jesus. Those material things, those monetary assets, they didn't matter anymore. Because this right here, being with the Lord, that's the blessing. That's the true joy. That's the prize in all of this. Jesus called these men to go and do the very most important work ever. And that is to go and fish for men. To proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of God. You stop and think about it. What would you give? What would you give for one day with Jesus? What would you give for one day to just get to be with Jesus? I mean, these guys, they got more than one day. They got to be with Jesus full time, 24-7, for the better part of three years. Think about what they saw. Think of all the miracles that they got to behold with their eyes. They got to see the resurrected Lord after He had died. Think of all the things that they heard. They got to hear His amazing teaching. They heard the Sermon on the Mount. All those private moments of private teaching with Jesus. They got to talk with Jesus. They got to ask questions to Jesus. They got to come to know personally the very Son of God. 
Think even more specifically about Peter. What did Peter get? Peter got to walk on water. How cool would that be? Peter got to make the good confession. Peter was reaffirmed by Jesus personally even after Peter had denied the Lord three different times. All of that happened because he obeyed Jesus. Obedience for these guys, it led to amazing blessings. And what I want you to see about that is that the blessing in Luke chapter 5 is that really what Peter got is he got the opportunity to obey more. That that's actually the blessing here. Think about it. There was the small obedience in verse 3, which then led to some bigger obedience in verse 5, which all of that then led to even greater obedience in verse 11, which will then ultimately lead to a lifetime of obedience all throughout the book of Luke and the book of Acts and beyond. Do you see it? When you obey Christ, you get to obey Christ more. And you know what? I think sometimes that is the very reason why people don't want to obey the Lord. That is maybe the reason why some people never obey the gospel and never even become Christians. I mean, come on, I'm, I'm fine with you know, doing some obeying of Jesus on, on, on Sunday for a couple of hours. Obeying Him maybe even in some of those small things. In fact, maybe even in trusting Him with, with even some of the big things in my life. But, but following Jesus all the time? Obeying Jesus every day, in every place, letting Him run my life? You've got to be kidding me. You can't be serious about that. It's outrageous. I mean, Jesus, I'll see you next Sunday. I'll come back and we'll do some obedience then. And so what happens? Well, what happens is we end up disobeying the Lord and we end up missing out on the blessings that come, the blessings that could come. We miss out on that abundant life that is promised to us whenever we are serving the Lord wholeheartedly. I remember talking with a brother in Christ once who had obeyed the gospel relatively late in life. He had spent much of his youth in all kinds of just worldly behavior. In fact, he had spent even a good part of his early adult life in that worldly behavior. And I'm talking the full nine yards. Immorality, drinking, partying, everything that you can imagine, just as ungodly as you can imagine. And I asked him as he was kind of reflecting upon his former days, I asked him if he ever missed it, if he ever missed that lifestyle. And I remember him saying to me just very emphatically, absolutely not. He, said, he went on to say to me, he said, I had no idea just how good, how wonderful it is to be a Christian. I had no concept of how rich and full and meaningful my life would be as a Christian, I don't need all that stuff anymore. Which begs the question of us. Where's your trust? Where's your faith? That if I obey Jesus, He's not going to lead me down some primrose path. Jesus isn't going to lead me down so far and then He's going to come behind me He's going to saw the branch off behind me. Jesus isn't going to do any of that kind of stuff. No, Jesus is is trying to lead me somewhere so that He can then bless me with additional opportunities to keep obeying Him, to serve in His kingdom, to know the joys of being a child of God, to build up His body, and all of the other good things that come with being in God's family. I'm saying to you today, that is of far more value than any pile of fish in the first century or any pile of gold in the 21st century. It is the blessing of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus the Christ. You know, think about the equation that really we've kind of just seen in this chapter. 
if trusting leads to obedience, which leads to more trusting, which leads to even more obedience, if that resulted in Peter becoming an apostle, then where could that take you and I? You know, ask yourself right now, where's the weak spot? What what is the area of your life, what is the area of my life where maybe I'm being disobedient to Jesus in? What corner, what nook, what cranny of my life am I kind of keeping the Lord at arm's length? Because I just don't trust Him enough to obey Him fully in every area. Is that maybe in your marriage? Not being what you ought to be in that relationship? Is it some other part of your home life that you're not being what you should be? Maybe it is in the workplace or young people at school. Maybe it is with your friends, your recreational activities, the people you hang around with, the kind of things that you do for entertainment. What part of your life have you kind of walled Jesus out? You've thrown up some drywall. or Maybe you've even been at it long enough. You've put some bricks up to keep Jesus on the other side of that. And as a result, it is preventing you from knowing the blessings that can truly come from obeying the Lord. Appreciate Cody's prayer this morning. He thanked God for the commands that He has given us. Why? Because they help us. They're designed for our good. Do we see our obedience to the Lord in that way? Do we trust and do we obey? You know, it was an afternoon with the preacher that ended up to leading Peter to learning some amazing principles about obedience. Fundamental things. But yet they were life-changing things. They were the kinds of things that ended up setting the course for the entire rest of Peter's life. In fact, it ended up setting the course for Peter's eternity. The fact of the matter is, this morning, you and I have an opportunity to practice what I've just preached, to practice what we're about to sing, to trust and to obey the Lord. And in doing so, you very well this morning, you could alter your future in this life, and you could alter your future eternally this morning by submitting your will to Jesus' and obeying Him. Is there someone here this morning who has yet to respond to the call of the gospel? Someone who has yet to place their faith in Jesus, confess their faith before men, Trust Jesus enough to repent and turn away from sin and to be baptized in water for the remission of your sins? If you've never done that today, today's a wonderful opportunity to do just that. All things are ready for you to become a child of God and do that in a relatively short amount of time. You can come up out of that water as a Christian, ready to follow Jesus as a disciple, as a learner of Him. You can then join the rest of us, helping one another as we strive to obey the Lord throughout this life. If you are a Christian but maybe you've kind of waned in your trust with the Lord. You've not obeyed Him as you should, and as a result, sin has entered back into the picture. You need to fix that. And there is a way that that can be fixed, and that is through humility, through repentance, through prayer. If we can pray with you, if we can encourage you, if we can help anybody today to serve the Lord or to serve Him in a better way, you simply need to come to the front. Make that known right now. Do that while we stand and while we sing.